Welcome to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast, where we discuss OSHA, EPA, safety policy, safety training, employee engagement, and everything in between. Safety is so much more than a technical skill. It's a motivational need. It's a means of engaging your team. Safety is a meaningful business practice that makes a direct impact on everyone in the organization. Hi, I'm your host for the podcast, Dr. Mark French, also known as The Safety Dude. As a certified safety professional and nationally registered EMT, I am excited to share my knowledge and passion from experience in environmental health, safety, security, and human resources. I've worked in the automotive, foods, chemical, nuclear, and e-commerce fields. I'm so glad you're joining me for this episode as we talk through the current issues in environmental health and safety and how they can affect the culture of your organization. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the podcast. So happy you could join me for this week's episode. Um, Maybe a little bit different this week. Maybe mix it up a little. I know um, COVID has taken most of the first half of the podcast almost every week. Um, It's been very something that uh, unexpected. I'm amazed with how quickly this is changing and how fast things are moving. But certainly it's something we have to keep in the forefront because it's surprising how quickly that our job, our process of safety professionals has changed because of what we're doing with COVID. We've really had to adapt to, okay, how do we take on all this extra work along with everything else we were doing. It's not like we didn't have a full-time job before. Hearing that from a lot of safety professionals, um, this is going to change the scope, I think, of how we look at the safety profession because I don't know if many of you remember this or have seen it or remember it, but there was a, a great little program that was put together years and years ago. It actually started in the 80s looking at how do you staff um, a safety department. I learned about this through an ASSE at the time. It was ASSE, now ASSP, but I went to one of their seminar fests and I attended one of their seminars on leadership and talking about planning and, and how do safety professionals estimate and plan. And this was my first interaction with that document. And it was revalidated and ever so often, every decade or so, it gets revalidated as truth. And one of the columns that is on that is like, what extra duties does the safety professional have to have beyond just like, and it lists like the standard work of what they think a safety professional does. It's a really interesting way of estimating your headcount for how many safety people do you need? Now, my question is, has anyone out there actually used that successfully? I'd love to hear about that. I have, um, in my career, tossed it out there a few times, um, looking at it, trying to evaluate it. Sometimes it's been effective in in adjusting. Sometimes it's not as effective. Um, (laughs) You know how that goes. It's it's interesting the the way some companies approach their, their idea of safety and who should own it and how much does it really need to be successful? How many, how much resources, how much money, how many people do you need to make it successful? And then that varies based on the organizational 
I guess, attitude towards safety, and it varies, and sometimes it's right on, sometimes it's adjustable, it's all over. And so I'm always curious of that this formula is out there, this process is out there, and how do you educate, how do you sell it, how do you make it something that is relevant, something that is helpful, something that helps empower, something that helps change, drives that change that we need. Um, but anyway, I was looking at that again the other day uh, for various reasons. I was one, just wanted to see if I could find it, and I was looking for other resources and came across it. Um, and so now that I'm looking at COVID, I'm looking at the requirements, the health requirements that are being put on the safety professional to develop and suddenly we're looking at that's a whole new activity outside of the safety realm that we were not doing before. We were full time. And, and I, I say that with a grain of salt because I know there's so many safety professionals that are more than full time, that they're exempt and they're out there and they're working their 50, 60 hour weeks to keep things going because they have a passion for what they're doing. They have a passion for the profession that we are out there working on. They have a passion for the team they work for. And so it's more than full-time a lot of times. And now we have this on top of it. And it is big, very, very big. From the standpoint of the health and safety of our team, from the standpoint of OSHA's response, from the standpoint of whistleblowers, from the standpoint of the political aspect of it and how much of the forefront it is. And so OSHA announces that they had $309,000 in COVID penalties um, in a short amount of time since uh, looking at one week from October 1st to October 8th. They were bringing in quite a few penalties, and a lot of it is, of course, respirator fit, that some companies did what they thought was right, and they handed out respirators, did not, again, we've talked about this before, this is a big deal, and this hasn't changed This is something that this requirement has been out there, but no one, unless you needed it, you weren't aware of it. And now companies are suddenly, okay, we have this issue. What can we do? And they go, hey, I hear it in 95 works very well. Give everybody one, make them wear it. That's a respirator. You have to be medically fit tested for that. And if you're not, or if you're using it voluntary, let's say you allow people to wear it in, but you haven't documented that it's a voluntary use process and they've signed off on it, that they're using it under voluntary process, you're at risk. And that's an easy one. That's one of those that OSHA can walk in, show me your records, you you shrug your shoulders like records, and boom, you're done. There's the fine. So getting hit with that respirator fit test is one of them for sure that is being conducted and looked at because Again, it's an easy one. Proper use of respirator. Are they storing it correctly? There's a lot of storage requirements with a respirator. It has to be clean. It has to be provided. You have to take care of it. If it's laying on the ground or gathering dust on somebody's workbench, that's not a good sign for OSHA. They're going to look at that. Failure to report. And there's been some new guidance on that. Make sure you're staying ahead of that FAQ. They're updating it, and not a lot of times are you going to get an email saying it's updated. You just have to kind of randomly surf on by the FAQs on the OSHA webpage to see what's changing and if it changes. Sometimes there's some news out there if you're following it, but it's not exactly being uh, 
thrown out there and in your face. You kind of got to go look for it a little bit. But it's all based on that respiratory protection. One, are you providing it? Because there's the other half of that, of those that didn't do anything and just send everybody back to work, which is definitely against any guidance that we're seeing out there from the standpoint of what's out there, whether you agree with it or not. We're looking at what is the guidance out there and what can OSHA cite from it. Personally, if you think it's good, if you think it's not good, Right now, the guidance is saying that we should be using it. So therefore, OSHA is using that guidance and saying that there's medical and scientific evidence. And that is stating that this is a good protective factor for your team. Therefore, you should use it. And so then you have the choices. What do you use? Do you use the the surgical masks that are now becoming more available? They're starting to be where you can find them. And so do you use the... Uh, a cloth mask with some sort of filter in it, like a doubled over one that's a little bit thicker. Are you still using the neck gaiters? Are you still using bandanas? How are you How are you approaching that from a protective standpoint? And again, though, got to be careful when you move into that N95, N99, anything that's labeled as a respirator. Because if you don't have that voluntary program, you're not being signed off on that voluntary program by each team member, you're at risk. Yeah, it's, it seems like, why would anybody punish me for trying to help my team? But it's not. This requirement has been there. It's been out there for a long time. It's just we're, we haven't been aware of it. So this goes back to my, my whole point of the safety professional. Like We were full-time with whatever job we were doing before this. And one of the interesting things... For those of you who have gone through the any of the board of certified safety professionals testing, one of the big things about, about being any type of accredited or, or certified safety person is that they tell you that you should only ethically operate around the the rules that you're very familiar with. That you shouldn't try to, until you educate yourself or you t- feel like it, you shouldn't be advising on things that you're not familiar with. In the world of health and safety is huge. You can be the industrial hygienist. You can be the person who understands rigging. You can be under the the whole trenching standard, electrical standards, lockout, tagout. Each of these are a lot more detailed than anyone gives them credit for. It's probably safety people. We understand that we have a lot of responsibility plopped right into our laps every day. And so to look at us and go, hey, you've never been part of a respirator program because whatever work you're doing, but you're really good at everything else you do. And suddenly there's these respirator things popping up. When did we give ourselves the resource to learn it? When did we have time? Man, this was fast. It's funny. I read (laughs) some of the funny things on the Internet about like, hey, I remember five years ago when it was 2020. It feels that way, but we've done a a lot has changed in a very short amount of time. And that's everything. But when you look at the safety realm in particular and how we're returning people to work safely among COVID, that's been huge. And it has been taxing and it has been something we've invested a lot of time and a lot of energy into. And we're going to continue to, no doubt. And I think we've got to evolve that and we've got to figure out how do we sustain this? Because at first this was supposed to be like a short term, get everything in place, be okay. But 
this is something it looks like we're going to be living with for quite some time. And how do we continue to do it? Because as with most things OSHA, they are coming back and they're uh, fighting hard. They were accused of not taking it seriously, and now we're seeing some pretty large fines. They're coming out of the uh, they're coming out of the gate and they're swinging. So um, we've got to be prepared as safety professionals to help prepare our teams for whatever that is going to look like in the future. So anyway, uh, lots of changes there. A lot got me on my soapbox <laughs> about uh, the work of the safety professional. Anyway, we'll be back in just a moment with more of the podcast. TSD Amalgamated, your partner in safety consulting. Find them on the web at tsdamalgamated.com. With over 15 years of experience in various industries, setting up ISO, TS, and RC systems, the professional team at TSD Amalgamated is ready to help you take your safety program to that next level. TSD Amalgamated is skilled in technical and behavioral auditing, from training employees on OSHA compliance standards to helping your leadership team see how safety can help drive real organizational change. TSD Amalgamated is there to be your partner. Their process is not a fill-in-the-blank policy or training process. They want to know your team, your needs, and create processes that create total organizational ownership. TSD Amalgamated, where do you want your safety programs to take you? www.tsdamalgamated.com And welcome back to the second half of the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Again, happy you could join me. I'm very happy you're here. I really ex- took a different turn on the first half. I really thought that um, I was only going to talk about half of the first half about uh, COVID, but then I really realized that I was going down that road and I was on that soapbox and uh, just couldn't stop myself. So we'll continue on with what else I had planned and see if I can continue to stay on that soapbox as we go. One of the interesting articles that came out this past week was about OSHA hosted a public meeting about their whistleblower program. Now, this is an interesting program when OSHA was kind of handed the whole whistleblower process of that if there's whistleblower claims in a lot of different realms, that OSHA would kind of handle that because they were already familiar with it from a safety standpoint. And so what does that mean with a whistleblower? It means that someone has come out and stated that, hey, I'm an internal person. Something is not right at my company. And you're protected as that whistleblower. And a lot of times, sometimes, in the worst case scenarios, that whistleblower is punished internally. And sometimes terminated because of speaking out against the company. And I don't know, from a philosophical standpoint, I think the world has changed a lot. Um, from, and this is decades, this is more than just now it's, it's been changing and has been changed. I know at least since I've been in the workforce that the loyalty between worker and company really is dissolving that there, 
And that's to say that maybe it ever existed in the first place. Not to debate this, but here's my point. Here's where I'm at with this, is that you have to look at the idea that the company thinks that why are people, why would you speak out against the company? We're loyal. You should be a loyal employee. But what is the company done in return to create that loyalty? You would think that creating a robust health and safety program that would protect their team would be the first sign that you want to create that social contract that says that we have that mutual respect to each other. Maslow's hierarchy of needs would say the same thing, that just having a job isn't create loyalty. Having a place that uh, you feel safe in starts that process of feeling loyal. A place you can be a team member in, that you fit in and have a team That creates loyalty. That creates that social contract. And then having a place that you're proud of ultimately helps develop that process. So the whistleblower program, yeah, went down a rabbit hole there for a moment. But the idea that any company would come around and punish someone for whistleblowing, the fact that they put that employee in the the situation in the first place, that they would feel like the need to make a whistleblower claim. Now, I completely understand. I have sat in the chair of the safety professional. I've I've been doing this for a while and interviewed a lot, talked to a lot of people, um, and try to understand how it works. So I get it. There's two sides to that. There are those out there that will call OSHA on every little thing. That, and they have the right to, let's be honest. They have the right to do that. A lot of the times, we as the safety professional are putting ourselves out there and we're just simply asking our team to give us the chance. Let me, before you make that call, let me have a chance at it. Give me an opportunity. Give our safety committee the opportunity. Give our team the opportunity to go out and fix it before you make a phone call. And... And so we're, we are working on our own kind of what trust they embed in us, that empathy that we have for each other as workers, that we're building that trust. And I once heard it best, uh, a friend of mine, someone who mentored me a little bit, for sure, learned a lot from him. And one of the first things he would say to people is, you have the right to call and get anyone involved from the government because that's your right. But if you would personally I would appreciate at least the opportunity to fix it. And if I can't fix it, then fine. But give me a chance. Let me try. Because it'll be faster. It'll be um, less oversight. And I'm willing to work to try to find the best solution for us. And I really admired that. Because it was so upfront. And he meant it to. You could tell he was sincere. And he meant it. Because the moment you talked to him about something, he, he was on it. And he was out there working on it. He was trying to find an answer for you. Um, it was fantastic to watch him work and to hear that and that trust he would build within the team. And I actually developed a ton of trust for him. Um, really appreciated everything he did there. Great, great time, great work. And so from there you go, wow, that, that's powerful. And that's the kind of trust we have to build. And sometimes it's not the trust that the person has in the company because we kind of talked about that social contract. But maybe it's the trust they put in you as that safety professional. And that's what sets us apart sometimes is that we're standing there on that 
dual customer process. We're hired by the company. We're paid by the company. Our customer is the company to a certain amount because we are supposed to enable them to have best practices. We're supposed to be advising them on legal issues, continuing to push that to make it better. Our real customer is our team members protecting them, making sure that we are doing what the law says we should do to provide them that base. But then there are the times that it gets absurd and it can, the pendulum as in all ways can swing the other way and you can get those complaints of, Hey, there's not enough Coke and too much Pepsi in the break room complaints. And you kind of go, okay, that's, that's not what we're doing here. We, that's not how we do it. Or you have the person that certainly was going to be or you have that person that wasn't performing very well in the first place, makes that phone call as a, to make a complaint simply in hopes of that that's the last straw to protect their job. And that's the stuff that takes up time, that, that takes away from what is a, the real issues behind whistleblowers. So I like the fact that OSHA is looking at how can we improve the customer service of the whistleblower program because it's a vastly important program especially if you've needed it, um, if you've used it appropriately, it's powerful. And that's what it's there for. It's not there to create a final straw of saving you before you're released from the company work. And so you have to think about that from the standpoint of, okay, where has the social contract between company and employee broken down? Is there that trust with a safety professional and at the company, and usually those companies can quickly show that maybe it shouldn't have been an issue. And as we go through it and we look at how much we're looking at this program and that our team has the right to report those, we are truly working on our what they believe in us as safety professionals. And it's a great testament to what we do when our customer, our team members come to us and say, we have an issue. Can you help us? And I've had anything from real issues that someone has brought up. Like, you know, they're asking us to lift some crazy things. You go out and you start talking, you find out maybe it was just some misinformation. You go back and you bring everyone together and you explain, no, we're not going to do that. That's not the way we're going to do business. I've had the ones where it was the Coke versus Pepsi argument. I had one where they took a couch out of a bathroom for people to lie down um, well, they, on breaks, supposedly. But they, they removed a couch and it was like the world had ended. And sometimes you look at them and go, you know, that's not really something I can fight for you. And you have the ones where... You people don't want to use the porta potties, so they make a complaint that there's not enough bathrooms when there's really a ton of them available. Not ideal, but available. And is it perfect? No. Is it? But that's what we deal with sometimes. Is we have to sort through, just like they OSHA has to. So I hope that this has gone. I look forward to kind of seeing the development behind what will come from this public meeting and how they will improve that program. So I'm thinking that's going to be something interesting, and hopefully it does develop into some helpful guidance on how that program will continue to evolve. So like I talked about last week briefly, uh, we are still getting closer and closer to Halloween. Not sure what that's going to look like at all, but again, 
Please remember, carry a flashlight with you if you're going to be out. Wear some reflective clothing. I know the black and dark colors are spooky, but still want to be seen because even a spooky person uh, will not enjoy being struck by a vehicle, so we don't want that to happen at all. Work in groups, or at least safe groups, um, within family members. I know COVID out there, but take some precautions. Be careful if you're able to get out there. I know I'm still a week early, but I'm passionate about this because I have some young trick-or-treaters, and I'm always hyper-aware of what are my little ghosts and goblins doing, along with, as I'm watching them, What's all the other little ghosts and goblins doing? And how am I able to uh, make sure that we're all safe as we do that? So anyway, until next time we chat, stay safe. Thanks for listening to the Leading and Learning Through Safety podcast. Join the conversation on the internet at www.thesafetydude.org or on Twitter at thesafetydude. As always, all opinions are my own and not affiliated with any business entity. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only. It is not a substitute for proper policy, appropriate training, or legal advice. I always encourage you to learn more about safety regulations and examine the facts with your unique perspective. This has been the Leading and Learning Through Safety Podcast. <music>